Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, all my favorite listeners. This episode of Reveal was actually recorded live at Celebrate 20, Gong's virtual event, which was held in October of 2020. For those of you that weren't able to be at the live event, I'm excited to bring this event to you in this special audio-only format. In this panel discussion, we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at how CFOs weigh purchase decisions and what convinces them to say yes to the numerous purchase approval requests they receive. The first voice you'll hear is Nina Achajian, partner at Index. She'll introduce the three panelists who have participated in the event, Melissa Fisher, CFO of Outreach, Wailun Chan, CFO of Plastic, and Tim Ritters, our own CFO here at Gong. Given that this was a virtual event, please forgive the audio quality and any background noise. Enjoy. Let's get started. Uh, you know, it's been a tough year and it's been one that's almost impossible to forecast. I'd love to hear maybe Melissa to kick things off. Just how are you able to manage internal expectations and board expectations and flexibility as you thought about the 2020 plan, especially as you know a new CFO at Outreach? Yeah, so I was going to say I had a little bit easy since I uh, came in, uh, you know, after the plan was already set. Um, but I think a couple things. You know, one is it obviously helps to be in a subscription business because you have a certain amount of predictability with your recurring revenue stream. It also helps to be in a business that's actually doing well um, from, you know, the work from home trends. So for those in the audience who are new to outreach, we're a sales engagement platform that accelerates revenue generation by making customer facing, uh, by the work, by making the workflows for customer facing reps continuously improving through dynamic data-driven insights. And so in the you know, prior days where salespeople could rely on uh, taking a client out to dinner or on the golf course, you know, today, as we say, every salesperson is an inside salesperson. So we're fortunate that our tools you know, uh, are very useful in this environment. Um, having said all that, there's obviously been a lot of uncertainty. And so you know, what the company did and um, continued to do is really uh, do scenario planning and really you know, monitor trends on a weekly basis to you know, be able to remain agile. Great. Um, and on that trend, you know, it's actually impossible to even now after eight, nine months of COVID to really know what's gonna happen in the next 12 to 18 months. I mean, a lot of people still think that we haven't felt the full economic impact of businesses going under, et cetera. Waylon, I'd love to know as you're going into 2021 planning, um, how have you thought about the future and setting goals? Do you have, you know, many different scenarios for 2021 so that you're flexible as the situation changes? What has your 2021 planning process been like? Yeah, so um, with COVID, predictability is a lot more challenging than before. 
Um, in the big picture, um, COVID doesn't change emissions and roadmap, but it impacts the timing of it. So in terms of planning, scenario analysis has always been a big part of it. Um, but this year, we spent a lot more time on it than we had in the past. Um, in addition to scenario analysis, the frequency of check-in has increased as well. So we have set a lot more milestone checkpoints to decide, should we invest, should we not? And if we should, what's the investment level? Versus in the past, I think the checkpoint is more on a quarterly basis. So we're monitoring a lot more closely um, than we have in the past. So for example, now every Friday, we will set our, send our deck to track all the key KPIs to the executive team. And then over the weekend, we study it. And then Monday, we have a discussion to decide, should we move forward? Should we not move forward? Do we need to change any dials on any levers? So we're tracking it a lot more, um, a lot more closely than we have in the past. And then very lastly, um, we have done a lot more deep dive into our tools to understand like remote work productivity uh, to ensure that our team is set up for success because with the different environments, every one of us can react a little bit differently and how we operate. So, so we wanna make sure one, we, we can make the right decisions for the business as well as we setting up the team for success as we, as we uh, think in the head of FY21. Waylon, what, what is the verdict? Are people as productive working remotely versus in person or is the jury still out? Uh, I think I think it's a combination of the functions and also the personality. So like, for example, um, as an introvert, I thought I'll be more productive um, to be remote because uh, I got more quiet time that I can spend time to think about. But one thing I realized is I missed the one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations with folks to, to pick the brains, to get insight as well as to relate to people um, um, on, on things that, that's top of mind. Um, so I think the jury is still out, like, as you pointed out, but I think it impact each one of us differently it depends on um, who we are as well as the function that we're in. Definitely, definitely. Well, Tim, maybe you could comment a little bit on as you're heading into the next year, what do top priorities look like for a company like Gong? Uh, you know, similar to Outreach and Plastic, it seems like the three companies have had some tailwinds from COVID. So curious how your priorities have shaped so far for 2021. Yeah, Nina, that's exactly it. I mean, if you look at the sort of technology platform that we're providing at Gong, it certainly is sort of being benefited, uh, certainly in the short term, but I think much more in the long term about this sort of shift to, uh, to work from home. I think what's going on with COVID uh, we'll push more sort of a remote workforce even once we get back to uh, a new normal, if you will. And obviously that's voted well, uh, voted well for, for us as a company. Um, so as we think about building the business and, and what's the focus for both me from a finance perspective as well as our company, I would say it's, it's really three things. It's, you know, first and foremost, continuing our hyper growth trajectory, sort of making sure that we're fueling the, the company for uh, that continued growth momentum that we've seen, as well as delight, delighting our customers and potential customers. Uh, we have a, a very, very strong NPS score that has continued to climb during COVID, uh, which obviously we're very, very proud of. So that's focus area number one. Focus area number two, it's attracting fantastic talent for Gong's journey ahead. Um, you know, as we build a business, we need great people, innovative people, fast-moving people, forward-thinking people. And so I, I, I spend a lot of time 
with the company and the management team thinking about that. And then, you know, finally, uh, building a lot of the infrastructure behind the scenes for scale, whether it's systems, whether it's processes, whether it's connections with, you know, um, you know, professional services providers about the journey ahead. It's just doing all of that infrastructure work. I, I use the analogy of building railroad uh, lines so that we, we can run the train and, and make sure we stay on course. So those are the three big things I'm focused on as, as we think about 2021. Yeah, and on that note, um, Waylon, maybe this is a good question for you since you brought up the remote work and, and how you guys have had to adjust. You know, a lot of people have said that COVID has fast forwarded us into a fully digital future, right? If you were a restaurant owner before and you didn't want to invest in software to do takeout or delivery, now you really have no choice, right? And so I'm curious from your perspective, both as a company, but also mm -hmm. what you've been seeing from your customer base, do you think this is actually true? And do you think this is a permanent shift um, you know, to highlight and prioritize technology? Or do you think it's something that's just temporary that will revert back to the mean once we're back in the, the real world? Um, so I would agree 100% with the statement that um, that is definitely accelerating the adoptions of it. Um, at my previous company, we spent years assessing the trade-off with a distributed workforce. And we couldn't figure it out. It, it was just a lot harder to quantify and then assess. And the last seven months answered that questions. Um, and so with that, there is an acceleration in adoptions of productivity tools. So for example, our meeting experience has changed entirely from Zoom to whiteboarding to presentations. It used to be a disadvantage for someone to dial in remotely, but now it's a level playing field. And this has changed how we behave in the meetings as well. Um, in terms of how we try to draw people out in the, in the conversation discussions, as well as how we engage with each other, because all of us are remote now. Um, fortunately, at Plastic, the team has um, always been operating on a remote basis with the R&D team spread across US and LATAM. So the transition has been a little bit less challenging. Um, with regards to investing in new software, there's some new software that we have added like um, Miro or stickies.io for whiteboarding. But I would say that it's mostly an accelerated adoptions of existing software. So for example, um, for finance team, uh, I think we are all guilty that we stick with our native Excel. And then whenever we have discussion, we say, hey, can you come over team? Do you mind come over so we can check this out? And we talk through the assumptions, whatnot. And now we all switch to Google Dot or Office 360. And, and that's just a very simple example that I, I see that change in the finance team really, um, uh, really fast in the last few months. Um, so when, and then the other thing about this too is when your brand become a verb, become a verb, you know that you have made it. So for example, the phrase that I'll Zoom you or Slack you later is a reflection of today's workplace. Um, so, so it's definitely accelerations. Um, I don't think it reverse. I think it's, it, accelerated what's going to happen, what was going to happen in 36 months to, to a seven month period. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. I really like your point about leveling the playing field for the team. There's a great book about Pixar and their culture. And there's a chapter, it's called Creativity Inc. And there's a chapter in there about how, you know, when you would go to a board meeting or a big conference room with all the executives, where mm -hmm. people sat often correlated to with how much they spoke up in a meeting. And we've also found that as well, having an international team that when everybody is in a multiplayer mode, the same size square on Zoom, 
it's mm -hmm. actually a lot easier for younger people or people that maybe are more introverted to chime in. And so it seems like that's been a really interesting, um, positive cultural change that's come out. Melissa, did you want to jump in on this question as well? Yeah, no, I think that everyone's looking for tools that accelerate remote productivity, right? And, you know, I think, um, you know, again, it's probably why joint outreach. Um, it's hard as CFO to ever turn down um, a solution that's really going to accelerate revenue generation. I think some of the trickier ones are tools that, you know, involve uh, big digital transformations on the back end or, um, you know, I was actually thinking about when Waylon was talking about, you know, there's a number of tools that, um, pr that promise to re revolutionize the use of Excel, but they're built in a way that doesn't actually capture the fluidity and the uh, flexibility of Excel. And so, you know, oftentimes, uh, if you're not willing to stick with kind of a, a, you know, more of a rigid set of tools, you end up implementing something that you might not use. And so as a result, uh, you know, you have to make sure that adoption is going to be, you know, high when you're putting in, in these software tools. Yeah, on that note, I wonder, I'm sure the three of you have just been absolutely inundated with every type of like collaborative, remote tools, et cetera. Um, Tim, you know, how do you, well, first of all, is there alignment on just how important the role software is in driving a company's growth? And then second, maybe what are some of the frameworks you use to evaluate the amount of decisions you have to make around software? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things in, in a prior job that I had, we talked a lot about what that framework looks like, right? And at the end of the day, we stepped back and said, you know, when you're buying technology, there's only really three reasons why you buy technology. Can it help you grow bigger or faster? Does it help you save money? Or is it, or is it allowing you to sort of stay legally or regulatory compliant? And if, and if you can't answer yes to any of those answers, you actually have to step back and ask why are we doing it and and you know i was as, as you said i was at a very large company and it's surprising how many times we're buying technology like that and haven't answered that sort of basic fundamental question and so uh that's what that's one of the things first things i do is i look at sort of different in, uh, investments we're going to ultimately make in in technology question on that which one's more important driving revenue or saving costs i would love uh, to it, all of you on that <laughs> yeah you know it, it 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 depends and even even the third one regulatory and legally compliant i mean as a private company i'm less concerned about that than if i was a public company right so it, it really depending on where the company is in its life cycle depending on how fast it's growing depending on the macro environment um so again as we got into covid and we really didn't know exactly what was going to happen i don't think anybody in the world knew in those early days of March, what was going to happen? Uh, our focus was on, you know, very, very clear sort of productivity wins that would sort of, you know, preserve cash and pre preserve um, the bottom line. You know, as we've gotten back to a return of more normalcy now, uh, and we are absolutely a hyper growth company, my focus and attention has changed to sort of being focused again on tools that are going to be that force multiplier allow us to grow faster, quicker. Yeah, I, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, and I agree with Tim that, you know, you do look at all of them. Um, I've seen different formulas work for kind of what I call the back office area. So, I'll, you know, software is clearly a part of it. I think there's, you know, multiple ways to get efficiencies there. And so uh, what I do think is hard to get is, you know, can you accelerate revenue faster, you know, because uh, ultimately that's about growing your business for the future. So, uh, again, 
I realize there's self-serving bias, but yeah, I would say even before that, that I, I would always put, you know, software driving, uh, revenue driving software ahead of uh, other areas. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, uh, I love Teams framework and I, my, my default answer is, is the typical answer that you get from CFO. We want both. Um, <laughs> um, but at this stage of our company, I was, I, I agree with Melissa and team. It's, it's the, uh, it's the growth. Have uh, any of you, um, and maybe Melissa, you can kick this off to start, seeing software get in the way of efficiency? Like you have too many programs or things break down and, and how, do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I guess I've seen a couple different versions. I mean, one is if you have a very decentralized environment, you might end up with multiple versions of a similar tool um, that you know, don't interact and you know, you're also purchasing at a subscale level. So, um, you know, you know, that's why, um, you know, you can sort of lose efficiency from that perspective and it's helpful to have a more centralized environment from, for, you know, to, in order to mitigate the, that risk. Um, the other area, as I mentioned is, um, you know, again, there are certain software, certain types of software where they're set up to be, um, you know, there's just a rigidity to how they work. And if your business doesn't work that way, then it's actually less efficient to use those types of software. Um, and so, you know, again, as I said, there are a lot of things people do in Excel and everyone complains about Excel, but often for certain tasks, Excel actually is the most flexible, you know, way to get things done. And so, you know, I, I put a lot of software that has tried to improve Excel. And again, not saying there won't ever be one that does. Uh, but in the meantime, there, there's still a lot of things that are best done in Excel. Got it. And um, has anything changed just in terms of the sheer number of software purchases you've or decisions you've had to make since all of this remote work started, or is it pretty consistent to what was uh, on your plate before in terms of um, these decisions? Well, for myself, I mean, we're a growing companies, so we're always, you know, there's so many things we want to grow into different areas across, you know, sales and marketing, you know, R&D and G&A, we're always looking at new things, but I think, um, you know, again, there's maybe a different focus in your tools that are more, as we discussed, focus on remote productivity um, that have become more important. And I would say before, while, you know, there was more of an openness to test anything today, it's really about like, you know, what's a must have. And so it's a little bit, you know, we say the difference between a vitamin and a painkiller. And we're focused on painkiller today because, you know, again, it's still overall an uncertain environment and we want to maximize, you know, the investments we're making. Yeah, and maybe on that point, I mean, obviously hiring in this environment or prior to COVID was extremely competitive. And it seems like for the most part, the hiring market, especially for tech, hasn't cooled down because if anything, a lot of tech companies have done um, incredibly well during this past uh, you know, couple of months. So maybe Tim, question for you. Um, do you ever see the priority of we have best in class software for our employees internally to do their work? being a big factor when candidates are making decisions about where to, uh, where to take their next job? I think it does. I think it does. I think, you know, I, I reflect even on some of the interviews that I do, uh, the people ask some very thoughtful questions about how are you going to make me the most productive, happy, happiest employee out there. And so having that tech suite is, is super important to do. I think it's also important for the company to do it because it, to your point, it's really hard to have to find great talent. It still is, even even in the environment that we live in today. And so, you have this sort of technology stack as a force multiplier to get the most you possibly can, because 
you know, you just can't solve it uh, by hiring more and more and more people simply because of the scarcity of labor out there, even today in, in, in today's COVID environment. Yeah, definitely. So transitioning a bit, I know we have a ton of amazing sales leaders who are listening right now, and I'm sure they would love the inside scoop on how they actually convince you all to say yes to, let's say, purchasing or approving a certain type um, of software that they believe will make them the 10x better, you know, leader. So maybe we could start with the question of, you know, what, let, let's talk, let's get very tactical. So somebody is excited about, let's say a marketing software or sales software, their team has been piloting it out, they're really fired up and they want to have you approve an enterprise level top-down deal for all salespeople. Uh, Wayland, so the salesperson comes into your office, of course, you know, they're selling and they're good at it. And they're trying to convince you why you should say yes. What yeah. specific types of data and information and evidence do they need to provide in order to help you make a good decision? Yeah, I think, um, I think the first question that we have to answer is like, what is the pain point that the software is solving for? And, and what is the top of mind for the CFO? And how would this software impact the, the, the value funnel of that process? Um, one thing I always like to replace, like I don't like the term of expense, I like the term of investment. So every dollar we spend either on human capital or software, anything is an investment. So what is the return on investment for that? So it depends on through that value chain of the software, uh, how does it fit in? And then how would that, um, that change the, the, the value equations of the funnel? If this is something about the conversion rate, um, then like how is that different than, than, the, than the existing product? Um, if this is about um, driving efficiency, uh, what is the pain point? What are this, the process that we're streamlining? So to understand like what is the software solving for and how does it fit within the value chain would be super important. And then the validations with a credible customer is powerful, especially if the customer is in the same space that we are in. So for example, um, uh, if I'm in FinTech, which I am, and then knowing that if the two other FinTech uh, companies are using certain software, but for some reason we're not, there's always, we get my curiosity of like, am I missing out or, or what, what type of strategic advantage that they might have that, I'm not, that we might not be taking advantage of. So I think it's a combination of those two. Got it. Other customers, or would you advise the salesperson to get some, you know, real references from them, or is it just the logo who's using it? So I think I think if for sales professional, the expectation is we will call someone because it's it's a, it's a small circle. We all know everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but ideal situation will be the sales team will come to us with those references, and then with the expectation that we would do our own reference check. Got it. Um, maybe to follow up on that, Tim, what is the length of a process? So from the first conversation of, hey, I really want to, let's say, buy Gong, for example, um, to signing the contract, what happens in that process? And what can the salesperson do to compress that timeline, but also, you know, arm you with the right information way ahead of time to make sure you can make a timely decision? Yeah, so um, I think it's a lot of things that Waylon talked about. Um, you know, there, there are three things that I look for is, first of all, clear articulation of why we're doing it. Um, does it solve one of the three things I talked a little bit about earlier? Um, I had to have a smile on my face when Waylon talked about ROI. For those of you, or for those of the folks that have worked with me, I always ask, what's the R in the ROI, right? I hear a lot about I. I hear a lot about what we're going to spend, which is great. 
but what are we going to get in return? And oftentimes, I find sometimes people don't do it. And so again, just as a, as a great sales professional, uh, if you already have that answer of what's the R and the ROI, you've piqued my interest and you're going to streamline your process. I think finally and most importantly uh, is commitment. Um, even though sometimes you see people uh, have the ROI calculator ready to go and they've done all their homework, I look around and I don't see anybody in the business that's signed up and said, yes, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to spend X because I'm going to grow revenue from X to Y in the future, or I'm going to you know, get more leverage out of my sales team or whatever it is. And so making sure I can look someone in the eye and say, yes, I own this and I own the, the ROI that's going to come from it is so, so important. And so if as a sales professional, you don't bring that to me, I'm running around the organization trying to figure out who feels that they are truly going to own it and feel that they're accountable for, for, for making that investment in the company. I agree with Tim. I was going to actually add, um, maybe even kind of taking a step further. I've uh, learned where, you know, I've, I've seen examples of where you can see ROI on paper, but when, again, when you don't get the, ad the ad internal adoption, um, you don't end up generating it. So um, not only do I want to know the executive level sponsor, I want to know, have the actual users tested it out? Have they embraced it? You know, are they signed on to, you know, do all the work to, to learn and get it going and, and run with it because otherwise we never we never realized the ROI. Yeah, I think I, I agree wholeheartedly, Melissa. The other thing that's I think has become more and more popular with tools that are easy to implement. I, you know, again, we like to see tools that are easy to implement because you can get to ROI faster. Uh, this notion of uh, proof of concepts or pilots. I mean, a CFO gets nervous when you're going to make a broad-based cross the company sort of decision versus if you already have you know, 10 or 15 people using it and are delighted. Now, not every technology work can work that way, but right. there's a lot of technology that can, and you de-risk it so much if you thought uh, and, and done the homework and proven that we've already seen it work in the company's environment as opposed to sort of on a, on a set of PowerPoints. In every episode, we have a data breakout. You know this, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Budgets are understandably tighter due to COVID. As a result, many purchase approval decisions are being kicked up to the C-suite. So how have CFO's investment priorities shifted this year? McKinsey reported that at the start of the pandemic, some companies lost up to 75% of their revenues in a single quarter. And according to PwC US CFO Pulse Survey, 67% of respondents were considering deferring or canceling planned investments as of April 8th. Yet by June 11th, that number dropped to 52%. While many more companies may be open to investing in new tools and solutions, many CFOs are still in defensive mode when it comes to loosening up their budgets. Stay tuned to the microaction at the end of the episode for ways to align your offer with what's top of mind for CFOs. And how about renewals, right? Because uh, there you have the data. How far in advance should the person that's championing, championing buying you know, this again start to talk to the conversation, to have the conversation with you all about, hey, we really should renew this. Is it six months before, three weeks before? What's the right timeline? It's, it's not one week before, that's, that's for sure. I, 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 think, um, I think it's about, for me personally, it's about a quarter um, and it depends. Uh, if, if, if there's no question that we're gonna have to renew with this particular software, there's no solution, it's, it's, it's locked in. I think you can start from a quarter perspective um, show me statistics on who's using it. Have we scrubbed and ensured that users are off the list? There's so many deals I see 
that uh, you know we have a bunch of phantom sort of users and why are we upping our user count if we're not seeing it? So do the homework, see who's using it uh, before you come. Uh, and then you know we'll start having those negotiations from a pricing perspective and what we need to do. Again, quarter feels about right generally. Sometimes uh, you know you might need to start even earlier uh, because if we do need to sort of transition out and move to another company, uh, another provider in the space, that can take some time from an integration perspective. So uh, you have to do your homework on that. But kind of rule of thumb is it, it's at least a quarter. Uh, it's not measured in weeks. And I, I've sadly seen, I suspect all of us have seen somewhere, hey, we need to sign this and we need to sign this in, in a week. And that, that just gets CFOs really, really grumpy. Yes, and that drives people on the board of those companies also grumpy because their salespeople are saying, oh yeah, yeah, this is gonna get signed in a week and you know, a quarter later, still forecasting. Yeah, um, I agree with Tim. I was just going to add, um, you know, I like to fork, I actually like to do annual forecasting by vendor. Um, and again, you know, at a certain level of company, you can't do that, but, you know, call it at a, you know, mid-sized company, you can. And, and what that allows you to do is, again, people really understand what they're actually spending. It's, you know, some version of a zero-based budgeting process, I'd argue. And then as, People may want to, if they do want to switch out a tool or renew, they're having, they usually end up having those discussions in advance because, as I said, it's been already part of the annual planning process. And then people who want to make changes to their budget process have to sync with you in advance as you're reforecasting every month. So, got it. Maybe to share because it's, it's, it's very rare, I think, um, for the CFO's priorities to be socialized among the whole company. You know, usually it's like, here's our product roadmap, here's our sales number, here's our strategic OKRs. I'd love to hear from the three of you on, you know, what are specific priorities that are always top of mind for CFOs? Because I'm sure a lot of sales leaders, if they knew this, it'd probably help them frame some of the discussions better. So what, you know, what are your top priorities just generally? For me, um, I, I start with talent first, because um, talent is a strategy. Once you have the talent, then, then, the, then the person will help us figure out what the strategy is, and then that leads to executions. Um, so when I think about software, it's, it's a combination of the business process, as well as does it help me to develop the talents, um, as well as retain talent. Um, so, so that's one. Um, but then I think the next two, it's going to be a very uh, common response that you hear from, from every CFO, which is, I want to get the top line as efficiently as possible, and which is the CAC and the LTV. So if any software that's kind of basically directly impact those two value funnel, that's always going to be uh, something would interest a CFO. Yeah, so, so I totally agree with Waylon. Um, you know, it's, it's growth. It's leverage slash efficiency. Um, it's risk management. I mean, as, as CFOs, we are in the middle of risk management and may, making sure bad things don't happen to the company for sure. Um, and then, you know, talent, as Waylon said, I, the other one I would add is transformation. Um, and if you're uh, in a really fast growing company, um, what got you from zero to $10 million or 10 million to $100 million or 100 million to $5 million, $500 million? It changes. Uh, you know, I had a colleague that once said, what got you here isn't going to get you there. And so if you're smart uh, salespeople, you're thinking about not only how to continue to turn the crank of what the company is doing and helping them do that, you're thinking about how you can transform them and vault them to that next echelon of growth, because it's going to be a different type of growth as, as the company continues to grow. 
Yeah, and I, I, you know, the things I would suggest that basically Waylon and Tim cover, covered, it's really elevating the operational and financial insights on how to, you know, drive, you know, profitable growth. So, and there's, you know, a whole host of levers underneath that, um, or layers of the onion, I guess you would say to unpeel. Makes sense. Um, maybe on that on that subject, I'd love to explore a little bit the relationship between a CFO and a CRO, for example. Um, I remember when I worked at Google on the AdSense team, I had the poor, unfortunate job of setting sales quotas. And you know, the week that sales quotas were going to be finalized, the whole sales team would come swing by my office, say, "Let's go get, let's go grab a coffee, chat about the football game, etc." Um, and I'm sure at the, you know, at the higher levels, there's a ton of trust and, and uh, foundation built between executives, but would love for you all to share just what is a great relationship between a CFO and CRO? What does that look like? And how do you maintain that relationship with these sales leaders as your company scales so quickly? I think you have to view it as a partnership. I mean, uh, you know, I said to our CRO at our team, you and I are going to be best friends, right? I mean, there's so much that you do together, sales code is being, you know, just one part of it, right? It's really about partnering on how, you know, again, in this area, how do you accelerate growth? How do you deliver it, um, you know, as efficiently as possible? So there's, you know, capacity planning, there's, you know, unpacking, you know, how growth is uh, achieved at the bookings level. So there's just a number of, you know, things you're working on together. And um, you have to make sure that you view this person as a partner and that you can understand, you know, their mindset when you're approaching problems. So I agree with uh, Melissa 100%. Um, it is a partnership. And uh, from a tactical standpoint, I think it's always a, a natural tension between the CRO and CFO. So the best way to, to address that is actually be open and the trust, uh, the transparency. And the way to do it is also technically is align on what the sales go-to-market strategy is at the get-go, align on what is the sales comp philosophy at the get-go. Is it 50-50 distribution? Is it 80-20? So once you have those alignment at the get-go, then it's more just figure out the math along the journey. So the tension will be, will be a little bit more uh, mitigated, um, but I think it's a natural, healthy uh, uh, tension. They will always be there, um, but trust partnership, as Melissa talked about, is, is, is the key, are the keys. It it's interesting as the third in line here, the two phrases that come up, partnership and alignment. Um, that's where it absolutely begins. We're a partner where our ultimate goal is the same, is to build a great franchise and an efficient franchise. There's no question about that. Uh, on the alignment thing, I think one of the things that's interesting that I've learned now, having been a second time CFO, is you also have to kind of feel out where along the journey your CRO is. Sometimes uh, you know, and it's not it's not a fault of the CRO at all. It's the company has been operating at growth at all costs. They don't worry necessarily about efficiencies because that's not where their life cycle is versus you may need to be at a different place as you continue to grow. So I like to sit down and say, help me understand how you're measuring, like what are the, what are the key measures and instrumentation you use to get comfortable that you're growing as fast as you can and yet you're confident that it's smart growth and, and listen to them uh, and more often than not, you can align along around how they're thinking about the business, which just makes it a lot easier as opposed to saying that you have the best answer of the four metrics here to measure the business. Start, start with how the business thinks, the, the sales team thinks about their own business uh, before, you, before you go too far. Got it. What would you say is the hardest part of your role? I, yeah, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's saying no. I think, I think, it's, um, I think it's education. 
uh, and, and diversity. And what I mean by that, I, I, when I first took uh, the CFO job at, at Pure, we were growing tremendously. We'd gone through several years of triple digit growth and it was a growth at all costs at that point in time. There's nothing wrong with that strategy, particularly if you're an environment in the capital markets that are like it. But I, what I told, uh, I, I was on a panel and I told a bunch of people that were sort of aspiring CFOs, I said, recognize when you come into a company like that and it's that stage in that environment that you might be the first person to talk about anything other than bookings, ARR or revenue growth. Right, you know, bottom line matters, cash burn matters, you know, CAC ratios matter. And and again, nothing wrong about that, but it's just it's a different time and a different evolution of the company. And so there's just a lot of education about a whole other realm of measures, uh, goals, and focus that you as a CFO uh, need to kind of to uh, evangelize, you know, from the day you walk in until sort of you know the company's public and then some. I mean, just there's that just keep that constant. Uh, constant education that goes along. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, diversity, um, you know, I, I reflect, reflect just on my last day yesterday. Um, you know, I was thinking about facilities. I was thinking about uh, real estate, uh, facilities, real estate, legal, HR, uh, strategic planning, uh, PO processes, uh, sort of compensation payments, um, you name it. And so again, I, you know, I, it's why I love the job but it, 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 keeps it, it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you at pace because you have to sort of really juggle all of those at any given time. Tim actually covered the points I was going to say, which is, you know, the, the breadth of what you, of what you do is makes, uh, you know, the responsibility so large. At the same time, it's what keeps the job so interesting, right? Um, and, I, and I agree on the education point, especially as, you know, again, if you join a company that's going through, you know, that you're there for a long term and it's going to go through different phases of its life, you know, the education you do at the beginning while it's private and growing at all costs may be different than the education you do when it's public. Um, so again, you know, constant communication on, on things that you know so well, but the rest of the company doesn't. They're not living in, Wall, you know, in the Wall Street world you are. So I agree with um, plus one on everything that Melissa and team mentioned. I'll just add two to it. Um, and it's really to play at the stage of our companies right now, which is hyper growth. Um, so the two I'll add is predictability and, um, and focus. So on predictability, I still remember um, my early days at LinkedIn, uh, people think it's great when, well, first of all, forecasts mean to be wrong. Um, that's always the joke that we, we kick around. Um, but when you're hyper growth, it's really, really hard to predict what's gonna happen. And even though we have all the different metrics like magic number, CAC, LTV to figure out the investment level, there's always the uncertainty that's, that, that's, that for, for a quantitative base person like myself, always give me anxiety. So I think that's one. Uh, the second is focus. Um, working with great minds, they, we, we all want to try different things at the same time. And at the stage of a company that we're at right now, it's super important to stay focused, stay course, pursue the key vision that we have and to to get alignment and stay focused and be disciplined on that is it's always a, a tricky thing to do yeah and maybe just to wrap it up um you know the three of you have been in similar roles or very senior finance roles for quite some time and have experience at private companies public companies big companies small companies and i'm just curious because we've seen such a transformation among 
other executive roles. Like for example, there was the big like decade of the CMO. Uh, a lot of people think we're in the decade of the developer. I'm just curious, how has the role changed from when you did it 10 years ago? And what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started? As I was interviewing for my first CFO job here would have been what, seven-ish years ago now. Um, you know, I had a number of conversations with board members and all of them intuitively got that the CFO role had changed dramatically in the span of, you know, that, you know, roughly a decade. And, and two things really bubbled to the surface. The, the, formal, the, the, the former CFOs were really about, hey, get the books closed, you know, communicate to that sort of Wall Street contingent. I don't know what the Wall Street folks do, but just, you know, you know, communicate them with them, make them happy kind of thing um, and, and close the books and make sure there were no surprises. But I, you know, I don't think you saw CFOs as strategically at the table about how are we going to grow? What's our next sort of, you know, product feature we want to add uh, to, to go after? What's the next potential TAM adjacency that we want to go after? And, you know, I've been blessed in both my CFO roles to be in that seat. It's one of the things I really love about my job. But I think, you know, go back 10 years ago, the CFO really wasn't part of that strategic conversation as often as they are now. So I think that's that's number one. I think the other one that's unique is as we have gotten as, as companies and as a society more digitally intense, uh, IT security, privacy, data, risk management as it relates to systems and IT, uh, you know, didn't really worry so much about that. But now, you know, the hackers are just outside the door all the time and making sure you, your audit committee, your CISO, your CIO are all uh, up to speed on that all the time, every time is really, really important in this day and age, whereas you know, 10 years ago, probably not as much. Yeah, I agree with what, what Tim said. I think I would add maybe one twist, which is, you know, um, you used to have almost these extremes, which is, as Tim described, you know, say the, the accounting CFO, and then, you know, once on occasional, you'll have, you would have a strategic CFO. And I think today, um, CEOs really want, I, I would say both strategic and operational, um, because, you know, just having someone to opine on, you know, what the company should be doing um, is not really as impactful as having someone who can actually help uh, drive the processes. And so, um, you know, people, you know, you have to have some element of, you know, hands-on experience, frankly, to be able to do that and keep the eye on the ball. And again, that's the fun part and the tough part about the job is that it, that really encompasses so much of the organization to be able to do that. Um, but so I'd, I'd say it's, you know, I, I'd add the operational aspects as well to the description. Yeah, I, I agree with um, all of that. Um, I, th I think of CFO now is a business partner with subject matter expertise in finance. Um, and I think it's uh, progressions and evolutions of, in the past, it start with visibility and it lead to predictability. And now it's insight and they want to go all the way to strategic. So it's a progressions over time uh, in, the, in the last few years. And, um, and we need to be good at the entire spectrum. Great. Well, thank you all so much, Waylon, Tim, and Melissa. This was great and super helpful. It's great to hear your perspective and your frameworks for making decisions. So thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it, Nina. Thank you, everyone. Today, CFOs are focused on painkillers, not vitamins. You need to make sure you understand their priorities and clearly communicate how your offer aligns with what matters most to them. For your solution, have answers to the following to arm your champions. How will it help them to grow bigger or faster? 
How will it help them save money? How will it help them develop and retain talent? And how will it help them stay in legal or regulatory compliance? With those answers buttoned up, you'll be ready for the tough questions from finance. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.